I'll say this in the beginning, and I, I said this several times on Sunday morning, that what we want to do as a church is to show love and compassion to anyone struggling with this sin and offer the hope that they can have in Christ to repent of it and actually to have him change their heart and their desires and have victory over this without signaling approval. So love and compassion without signaling approval. Welcome to Life in Christ, a podcast of The Landing Church here in Duluth, Minnesota. My name is Brent Nelson. I'm one of the elders here at The Landing and I have the privilege of being on the pastoral staff. It's my joy to welcome you to this conversation. With me today is another one of our elders and a dear friend, Howard Hayes. Howard, welcome to Life in Christ. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's good to be back. You have you and I have had lots of conversations in this podcast format already. It's good to have another one. Yeah, it's exciting. I look forward to it. Part of the content that we're discussing today is one of the chapters in an excellent resource we'd like to recommend to every one of you called Christian Ethics by Wayne Grudem. It's a large reference book that Dr. Wayne Grudem wrote about five or six years ago now. It covers many, many different ethical topics. Howard, you have found that book especially helpful. How, how, what kind of recommendation would you give to that book for those who are listening? Oh, I think it's an essential part of any library of someone from the church or even someone that's interested in what the Bible says about current ethical consideration. Well, and isn't it interesting? It's, it always feels, Christian ethics always feels like it's momentary and urgent and, oh my goodness, we need an answer for this. And then we discover as we start reflecting on Scripture and looking at the question that is repeatedly and perennially coming up over the years and over the centuries and over the millennia, and that there's nothing new under the sun, and this kind of issue has been solved by the wisdom of the Lord in His Word long before we even realized it was a question. Well, that's the case with today's topic. In this episode, we're talking about the sin of homosexuality, the question of something called homosexuality. The Bible doesn't directly address a reality of homosexuality. It doesn't talk about such a reality. That it, It's a bit of a unicorn. It's really a desire that some have to reject God's design for biblical manhood and womanhood and pursue the impossible, but still the, the desired outcome of uh, a sexual experience or sexual uh, expression with another person of the same biological sex. It's called homosexuality by the psychological community, and many of us have adopted that terminology for the sake of just referring to it rather briefly. But the Bible doesn't actually refer in its original language to such a thing as homosexuality because there is no such thing. No human being has ever been conceived of two men of their own accord. No human being has ever been conceived of two women of their own accord. No such thing as homosexuality. It's a unicorn. But that doesn't mean it's not an intense desire in the hearts of some. That's helpful. In fact, that's essential to think through that because we don't want to act as if homosexuality is the normal, born-this-way condition of some that we are calling them out of to become a Christian. That would be a radical confusion of what's happening. What we're doing as Christians is sharing the good news with people that God made human beings in His image, male and female, and calling them to return to that. And to live in that is exactly what their every cell of their body wants. So there's a kind of a lie. There's a kind of a delusion, a kind of a confusion that's really gripping 
in our day and age, in the moment we're talking, much of the Western culture, even part of the Western church, that there is such a thing as homosexuality and it's an option for people to live in, when in fact there's no such thing. And in fact, living in it is living in a delusion. Tell us, what was it like for you to tackle this subject of homosexuality? What did you find helpful? What did you find challenging? Well, this this subject obviously touches every aspect of the culture that we live in, including the church. And it has touched my own family. Sure. Uh, we have a child, a daughter, who began to engage in a homosexual lifestyle uh, out of high school and college, and then it actually uh, morphed into transgenderism. So uh, my wife and I have been dealing with this, and her siblings have been dealing with this for a long time now. And uh, again, we've, we've done a lot of study over the years and tried to uh, really nail down what is it that God wants us to see in his word that pertains to this and how he wants us to think about it, and most importantly, how does he want us to relate to our daughter in a Christ-like way? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I appreciate your response. Admire it. We want to say at the beginning and at the end and, and all the way through in our conversation, we approach this not as experts. We've done a lot of thinking and a lot of study, and there's a lot more to go. We all need the grace of God, and every one of us comes before the Lord humbled and broken and needing of his mercy and of his forgiveness. Right, and Scripture makes it clear we're all sinners. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So we're not trying to single out this particular sin. But what makes this sin particularly insidious and dangerous, I think, in my observation, is perhaps the sins that you and I deal with, culture still considers them to be immoral. That makes it a little easier to deal with or fight against those. But there are certain sins, and homosexuality falls into that category where the culture has actually turned it upside down and says it's not a sin. In fact, it's something to be promoted. Yeah, there's more than we can go into here, but part of that is it's moved away from an activity to an identity. Right. That complexifies it a little bit. What help did you find from Grudem? Take us into the chapter that uh, that Dr. Grudem wrote in his Christian Ethics book. Yeah, so what we wanted to do, as you said, we're not experts, um, but what we want to do is simply provide what the Word of God has to say that pertains to the subject to help our flock to think rightly about it in accordance with God's Word. So Dr. Grudem points out that in all previous generations of church history, the unanimous consensus of all biblical scholars and evangelical pastors was that all forms of homosexual conduct are morally wrong. So it's never, prior to this generation, it's never been disputed in the church. Even today, he shows that most Christian ethic books ethics books would continue to hold that point absolutely. of view. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And I'll say this in the beginning, and I, I said this several times on Sunday morning, that what we want to do as a church is to show love and compassion to anyone struggling with this sin and offer the hope that they can have in Christ to repent of it and actually to have him change their heart and their absolutely. desires and have victory over this without signaling approval. So love and compassion— without signaling approval. Of late, there are now beginning to be some voices in the evangelical community that are beginning to advocate that the church should recognize and accept certain homosexual relationships, those being long-term, faithful, monogamous uh -huh, homosexual right. relationships. However, that voice is still, even today, quite rare in the church community. After that, 
sort of background information, I just dove into a bunch of verses. So here's what God's Word says. According to God's original design, human sexual conduct was to occur within the context of marriage between one man and one woman. Right. The foundational verses go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 in the creation account. In verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the very first differentiation of the human race that God made was to put them into two complementary sexes. That's the first thing he said in connection to being created in God's image. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And a few verses later in verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So that one flesh concept is key. It was established as the general pattern of marriage, a one-flesh relationship between one man and one woman. In the Gospel of Matthew, verse 19, Jesus reaffirms this concept by saying, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So there that expression comes again. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. In the other gospel, the gospel of Mark, one of the other gospels, verse uh, 6 and 8 in chapter 10, uh, it says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his flesh, his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. And then the apostle Paul takes it one step further he strongly echoes Genesis 1, 27 and 2, 24 in his two primary texts on homosexual practice in uh, Romans and 1 Corinthians. We'll get into those in just a little bit. But both Jesus and Paul assume the logic of a one flesh relationship that requires two different sexual halves, a man and his wife, being brought together into a sexual whole. Yes, yeah, it, explicitly it's impossible for two men to be one flesh. It's physically impossible. It's physically impossible for two women to be one flesh. Right. And then you go back to how God created woman from man. So there was a part of Adam that was removed to make Eve. So then, in a sense, Adam was slightly less than he was originally designed, and and she was made from him. So when the two come together as man and wife in a sexual union— It's almost like the reintegration of the whole. That's exactly right. So there's no such thing as homosexual marriage. It's not a reality. It doesn't exist. It's not a real thing. But it's, again, part of this delusion that's being pursued as if it were a reality. I found it really helpful to think about that that sexual union and the reintegration of of the whole person. You know, and and we don't want to um, mislead anyone into thinking this is the only sexual sin that the Bible focuses no. on. There's a whole myriad of uh, sexual sins. The Bible talks about adultery, talks about fornication, it talks about prostitution, incest, and even bestiality. And then, of course, it does talk about homosexual intercourse. The main verse, well, there's several verses then where Grudem goes into to talk about homosexuality specifically. 
The first one is a long passage. I don't think we have time to get into it, but it's the story of, it's the narrative from uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a situation where homosexuality was evidently rampant in that community. The story talks about all the people to the last man were involved in this assault in the story. And it's clear that God is unhappy with the situation in these two towns, and uh, he resultantly uh, enacts his judgment on them. And these two angels come and are able to save Lot and his family. Right. That's a great summary of it. Yeah, I don't know that we need to read through Genesis 19, but I would commend the listener to have a look at Genesis 19 and read through it. It's very clear, very, very easily understood, very clear what the main point of it is. Right. So those that think today is worse than it's ever been. No. It's, it's not true. It's like Solomon said. That's right. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Sure. So Leviticus has some insights also in chapter 18, verse 22. It says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Uh, Two chapters later, in verse uh, 13 of chapter 20, it says, If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And then as we move to the New Testament, in Romans 1, uh, verses 26 through 27, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So there's a sobering and and a very uh, comprehensive voice from Scripture identifying homosexual behavior as among sexual sins, one of many. Uh, and can be repented of and forgiven fully and uh, and washed and sanctified and justified, as 1 Corinthians 6.11 says. I wonder if you could speak to this. That raises the question of, is sexual sin really just constituent in the act, or are there desires long before the act ever takes place that also need to be brought before the Lord and come under His grace? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, so Grudem does deal with it. He says, well, what about homosexual desires that may or may not be acted upon. You know, and God's Word is clear that He cares not only about what we do, but what we think. And He demands moral perfection. And that's not only in our deeds and our actions, but it's also in our thoughts and our attitudes. So with that in mind, you know, homosexual desire would be among a whole spectrum of thoughts that are unhealthy and sinful and we shouldn't harbor those. That would be the biblical answer to that question. Well, and that's that puts real weight under our previous comment that we want to emphasize that all of us are broken before the Lord. All of us are broken sexually before the Lord. All of us need the forgiveness of His grace and the cleansing of not just our past experiences, what we've done or what's been done to us, but the cleansing of our hearts and minds. The, the, the cleansing of our conscience, like the writer of Hebrews says. Right. We're to take every cap, every that's, thought captive. Yeah, that's right. So, so we really mean it when we say this isn't just one sin to, to signal out above others. Granted, there is no other sin Paul describes with the Greek term parafusin against nature. This is the only one that he describes with that term. But even that, while it, while it shows the effects and the consequences of homosexuality, uh, as an act, are unique to that specific act 
Granted, it's still, as this kind of sin, one of many kinds of sin that actually find their origin in the darkness of the human heart. Come and cleanse our hearts, Lord. We can say with every person who wants to, as you said earlier, struggle against this. And we would welcome anyone to come struggle for righteousness with us. Come lay hold of the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. Come grow in the grace and knowledge uh, with us uh, and, and with believers that you know. Genuine and authentic believers will not look down with condemnation or with um, judgment on this specific sin different than other sins because it's like all other sins originate, originating in the heart. Right, and anyone that thinks that this sin is worse than other sins are probably being misled or they're self-deceived if they don't accept the fact that they're probably dealing with sins that are equally um, hurtful to God. We don't claim that this is some special, terrible sin that's worse than the sins that I struggle with. We all struggle with sins, and, and that's, that's the beauty of, of what Christ offers us through the gospel, is he does offer us forgiveness. God demands perfection out of us, and we know that that is impossible. Right, apart from Christ. There is one who did live a perfect life, and it can be credited to us if we trust in him as our Savior. Yeah, and that gospel word is so precious in every one of these conversations. Right, and not only then are we living in a state of forgiveness, but then the word promises that he can actually change our desires. I think so many people struggling with homosexuality would prefer to not be struggling with that. And, and they, would, they would love it if God would take that desire away from them right. and give them a natural desire for the opposite sex. And I'm here to say that there is hope God can do that. It is possible that he can change your desires. I think we all, if we examine our history, we can see where there were things we used to struggle with that are now less of a struggle or not a struggle at all. That's true in my life. That's my testimony. Yeah, and it could be that he never completely takes that desire away. He, he does. It's not a guarantee that that desire will be gone, but he does say that his grace is sufficient. The Apostle Paul asked for his thorn in the flesh to be taken away three times, and God apparently said, no, I want you to deal with this. In your weakness, my strength will prevail. And it's helpful, isn't it? To remember that passage that you just alluded to, 2 Corinthians 12, it's helpful to remember that even the struggle Paul had there, he conceived of, by that phrase, thorn in the flesh, as something separate from him. It was something outside of him, like a thorn Mm -hmm. that's inserted and painful. And, oh, Lord, please take it away three times. No, my grace is sufficient for you in weakness, the Lord says. That's the that's the point I think we would want to emphasize that no matter how strong your desires, you do not need to own them as who you are. They can be conceived of as a thorn, separate from you, puncturing you, painful, and maybe there the rest of your life, but not defining who you are. Exactly. Good conversations. We sure appreciate uh, Dr. Grudem's labors. Uh, we appreciate, Howard, your reading through this material and and presenting it to us in such a clear and comprehensive way. I mean, the Bible points to the the gospel as the solution for all sin, including the sin of homosexuality, among many other sins. That's right. Hope in Christ. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and not to get too much into our personal story, but, you know, we are still in a close relationship with our daughter, who has now transitioned uh, 
and in his living life as a as a male, if that were possible. And you know, we we have just decided that what we are going to do with her is what I suggested the church do with anyone dealing with these issues is offer love and compassion and the hope that Christ offers through the gospel without signaling approval. And therefore, we still get a chance to speak into her life. Absolutely. Isn't that how the Lord relates to us? He shows kindness to us, and he's not for a moment approving of our sin. But that was the strategy that we have taken, and we we are trusting that God is going to redeem this particular situation in our daughter's life. There's no, no greater thing for a parent to know that their children are walking with the Lord. And we're praying that that will be true of her also. Well, Howard, this has been great. Thank you for your your testimony. Thank you for your your vulnerability and openness. Thank you for your important study. Yeah, it's moving so fast. Now. I think our next podcast is going to be talking about the transgender That's question, right. and that one is obviously accelerating at an amazing rate. Would you be willing to close our time with a word of prayer? Sure. Father God, thank you so much for the hope that we do have in Christ through the gospel. Thank you that no matter what sin we're dealing with, if we come and confess it to you and repent of it and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and forgiveness of sins, we will be blessed with a new creation. We will become a new creation. And you promise that for the remainder of our days on this earth, you are going to sanctify us. You will conform us more and more into the likeness of your Son. And we revel in that. And we know that someday we will be like him as we see you face to face in heaven. Uh, We pray that you will bless all those that are struggling with this particular sin and, and help the church to really be willing to come alongside and offer that love, compassion, and hope that the world does not offer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Howard. Appreciate the conversation today. If you're listening to us right now on this Life in Christ podcast and you struggle with homosexual desires, know that Romans 12, 1 and 2 is true for you as it is for all of us, that there's a renewing of the mind. There's a not being conformed to the ways of the world, but a renewing of the mind that the Lord achieves. Praise his name. If you'd like to know more about that, we'd be happy to introduce you to him in prayer and in a a new life that, that we've alluded to in this conversation repeatedly. Thank you very much for listening to us. Next time we get together, we will raise the next question that Howard just alluded to, the question of transgenderism. It's an important question. The Bible speaks to it as well, and there's much hope to be offered to those who are involved in that activity as well. All of us, no matter what kind of sin we commit, are in need of grace and mercy renewed every morning. New mercies for today. I hope you're enjoying the new mercies for your life and for your walk with the Lord today. Thank you for listening to Life in Christ. This podcast is a ministry of The Landing Church in Duluth, Minnesota. For more resources or information about The Landing, visit www.thelanding.church.